Hey, welcome once again to No Apology with the Bible Idiots. We're Chris and Emily Danielson. And Monday and Friday, the podcast is Chris and Emily show. But Wednesday, and today is Wednesday, is our long-form teaching. Now today, Chris is going to be taking us to the book of Matthew. And he's going to be talking about putting new wine in old wineskins. That just doesn't work. So once again, the book of Matthew. And here's Pastor Chris Danielson. But this is us. This is Lifehouse. This is the all-new Lifehouse. And this is the third message out of three where I tried to take you back to the basics of what it is we're going to be about. And those of us uh, here at Lifehouse, we have a thing called Covenant Partnerships. And it's, for lack of a better term, our membership program. But we want it to be deeper. We want it to be bigger. We want it to be better. And it's harder to be a Covenant partner, Partner than a church member. Church members, they don't like something, they go up the road. And Covenant Partners, they don't like something, they stay and they talk and we pray together. And if need be, then they go up the road. But they go up the road with the blessings of those they left behind. It's a different world that we live in, which means we need a different approach to how we do church. And everybody's talking online about the fact that when we start streaming services during COVID, Something like 63% of regular churchgoers are now back in the pews. There's still so many that got used to being in their pajamas and nobody knows if they're there or not. Sipping coffee, watching church, feeling righteous. I know that when COVID first hit, Emily and I were between churches and we were visiting churches online. It was wonderful for about three weeks. Then it was like, where's the fellowship? We know what God's calling us to do. And that's what happens when God's calling you to do something and you don't do it. He's not going to let you as his child just continue to roll with common uh, just relaxation. He's going to make it a little prickly for you. And when you are in his will and you're going forward and you're doing what he's calling you to do, there's a peace even in the midst of the turmoil that seems to swirl around us. So with that, let's read our text for today. It's Matthew chapter 9. And it's verses 14 through 17. The words will be on the screen, but please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14 through 17. Then John's disciples came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. Verse 17, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the skins burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. Heavenly Father, let these be your words to your children, and bless this message in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated, please. Now, the image of wineskins that Jesus uses here in this parable is truly foreign to our culture. When we hear wineskins, I don't know about you, but I always think of that leather container, that tear-shaped little bottle that's called a boda that the Spaniards would carry and they'd squirt wine into their mouth with it. That's what I used to think of when I think of wineskins. But that is not the wineskin that Jesus referred to. 
Wine was made by treading barefoot on the grapes in a wine press, and a square or circular pit was hewn out of the rock, and it would channel the juice through down to a lower vessel, and that wine vat functioned as a collecting and fermenting container of a grape juice. Stay with me now. In the warm climate of the Middle East, the grape juice would begin to ferment very quickly, and there was no easy way to prevent fermentation. So after the first state of fermentation had taken place in the wine vat, then the wine is separated from the lees. That means the, the dead yeast, the tartar crystals, the small fragments of grape skin are strained through a sieve or a cloth. And then where do they go? Well, they go into animal skins for storage for further fermentation. See, the wine skins that Jesus is talking about here were made of whole tanned goat skins where the legs and the tail were cut off and they were sealed. And in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew word, it was nabil, or skin bottle, or skin. It's translated in the King James Version as bottle. It gives us this image of a glass wine bottle. But that is not an accurate mental picture of what is really happening. These were whole goat skins. The nubbins were bulging out where the legs once were, and the neck is tied off where the wine has been poured in. The whole large skin bulging almost bursting as the carbon dioxide gas generated by the fermentation stretches it to the limit. Follow now. Another image comes from Job, chapter 32, verses 18 and 19. It says this, For I am full of words, and the Spirit within me compels me. Inside I'm like bottled up wine, like new wineskins ready to burst. That is so authentic to using the wineskin as an analogy about when we're just bursting. We're just bursting with the love of Christ. You guys who know Jesus, you know what I'm talking about. It happens. But the fermentation in the wineskin might continue for another two or four months until the process slows down and stops. Now what happens then? Well, by that time the skin has been stretched to its limit. The alcohol is probably 12%, and the collagen protein that gives the leather its stretching ability, well, it has been stretched out, having destroyed its natural resiliency. Don't miss that point. It's destroyed its natural resiliency. It's not going to contract anymore. The skin's ability to contract and stretch again has been lost. Follow? Now, we're not familiar with the details of the wineskins. Every one of Jesus' hearers would be. They would, they would understand it just fully. And I thought, what is an analogy for modern day that I could give to, to just so how instantaneously these people would understand what Jesus was saying? And I came up with this. It may be a little lame, but it's this. So I pulled up to the gas pump and filled up. Now think about that. Think about reading that phrase 2,000 years ago. I pulled up to the gas pump and filled up. I didn't have to mention an automobile. I didn't have to mention that I'm actually filling up a gas tank. I didn't have to explain a combustion engine. You all immediately knew what I was talking about when I said I pulled up to the gas pump and filled up. It's the exact same thing in Jesus' day. You don't put new wine in old wineskins. And everybody knew exactly what he was talking about. And the analogy took on a much deeper meaning for the hearers of the day. Jesus says, no one pours new wine into old wineskin, and if he does, the new, worm, the new wine will burst the skin. The wine will run out, and wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. Now, the, there's a contrast here between the old and the new that we see in the parable of the parched garment. 
I mean, you don't take a, a, an unshrunken garment and put it on a patch because then when it washes and shrinks, it'll tear the garment. It's the same kind of concept. So we can ruin the, the garment, we can ruin the new wine, we can ruin the old wineskin, which still had value even though it was stretched out, would never contract again. There's uses for everything, as we know. See, the gas pressure from the fermentation is eventually so great in the inflexible old skin, it ruptures and the new wine gushes out under the ground and is wasted, and the hearers all know about the old skins and the new wine. They understand. So that's why today's message is we are, as Christians, four things in this message. This is going to be tough, so I'm going to slow down and make sure you get it. We are the new wine, we are the new wineskins, we are the old wine, and we are the old wineskins. Okay? You just got to understand your circumstance and your situation. Because there's a contrast that Jesus is doing between the old and the new. And that the new can be ruined by attaching it to the old. What's he getting at? Jesus has now come to earth with a radical gospel of good news for the poor. The disenfranchised, the oppressed, the sick, the brokenhearted. Let's look at Luke 4, verses 18 through 19. It says, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? He speaks with authority. Rather than this clever and unsound reasoning of the scribes of the day, their man-made rules of who can eat with who and who should fast and how... The externals that they all taught, Jesus, on the other hand, came and laid it down. He's aiming them to return to a love for God, for one's neighbor, and to do mercy and to love justice and to walk humbly before God. This was not behavior modification. These are at the core of the Hebrew faith is all behavior. It's life in the Hebrew term is dead religious external traditions that offer the appearance of piety, which was the goal. But it doesn't change the heart. And that's what Jesus came. And that's what, that's what this whole thing is about. Colossians 2, 23 it says, although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. What's Paul saying here? He's adding on to what Jesus is talking about, where the transformation is of the heart. The new comes, the old cannot withstand the new. So we understand as people what we do, how we act, how we perceive, how we function, our everyday walk. We can represent the new wine. We can also represent the new wineskins. And we can also represent the old wine. And we can also represent the old wineskin. Now, this can get confusing, but once you get it, it makes perfect sense. And once you get it, you can see it. You can see it. It's such a common understanding of both the new covenant and the old covenant, the new creation in Christ versus the old man of sin. And this idea truly does cross over into so many other things in life. There are times as the new pastor, I have to be old wine coming into the old wineskin. I'll give you a classic example that happened Friday. Troy came and helped me go pick up some sod. 
And when we picked up the sod we were going to pull out, there was a little field truck that was in the way when we turned down this long alley. And I'm like, ah, oh, well, I guess we're going to have to go right and go around. And, he, and you know, Troy just kind of ignored me, rolled down his window, hey, and they're, they're smiling and talking, hey, I'll pull up. And so the guy jumps in his field truck and pulls forward. I, I'm not used to that kind of common courtesy. <laughs> and so I have to be old wine in the old ways. You guys, you guys have no idea how attractive that is to me. The small, rural, everybody kind of wants to try to be nice to each other. That's rare in the cities where I come from. It's only found in covenant partnerships. It's only found in the church. It's been my experience. I expect people to be rude to me. I'm ready for them. Yeah. Somebody says, you, you've got the rude pastor. I'm like, that's right. You want to you go? Let's go. <laughs> no, but the concept of new is so important. New Testament, new covenant, new creature in Christ, new fellowship, new wine going into new wineskins. Follow? So let's look at some basic examples in real life. Think about it. A restaurant ownership has, has an ownership changed. An updated menu might not be enough. Sometimes they may need to change a whole bunch of stuff to make that restaurant fly again. I mean, at, there was a corner in Minneapolis, and, and in four years it had three different names. Because changing the name is something to say, hey, a new thing has come. You know, I mean, you know, it's... The best was the uh, barbecued wings. I hated it when that guy went broke. That was my spot. <laughs> what about uh, a football coach? Think about it now. Why is it that 99% of the time a new head coach will bring in his old staff? He'll bring in the staff that he's always had with him. Why? Change the playbook up. Why? Install new schemes. Because the ownership of the club wants new wine. And the team must now function as new wineskins. If they want to operate as old wineskins, it will burst. It does every single time. The complaining old, old wineskin linebacker. We never blitzed on first down with the old coach. Who cares? The new coach blitzes on first down. If you're a linebacker, you now blitz on first down as new wineskin when the new wine coach tells you to blitz. Or you will be an old wineskin linebacker who's now probably looking for a new team. A new pastor can be part of the old wine and the old wineskins. A couple of my friends, they, they get installed as a pastor. They have to learn the old ways and they have to adapt to that because that's their calling. You know what I'm saying? Think about it now. Every time you have a leadership change, that's not necessarily new wine. you got to use discernment. Think of a major university. A major university like, say, Alabama, the Crimson Tide, they get a new chancellor. That's not, a, that's not new wine for the whole school. He's got to be old wine in the old wineskin. They're not going to change their ways in Tuscaloosa just because they got a new chancellor. But in the chancellor's office, where there's four or five employees and a couple tenured professors, guess what? They have to become new wineskin because they just got new wine. Make sense? Not every leadership change is new wine, but it comes in as new wine because the old wine sometimes is gone, or sometimes the old wine is spoiled, or sometimes the old wine is corrupted. Then the new wineskins are required for success. Stuff needs to be reset. Stuff needs to change. New beginnings are required. I don't say so. The scriptures say so. Look at the unsuccessful changes in leadership. 
changes in key personal areas. And you see it and you read about it in all walks of life. Politics is the classic one that you can get right on your, on your news feed. I mean, think about this. A person is a great general manager of a car dealership in, in a town, and he's with Ford. And he gets a promotion, and he goes to another town 20 miles away, and now he's with the Toyota group. And he fails miserably. Why? Everything that he was successful for, he's trying to do here. It just doesn't work there. New wine, new wineskin. Old wine, old wineskin. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. We need to look at circumstances as we are both the new wine and the new wineskin. Now, however it goes, old, new, wine, wineskins, there's no change in structure. And you have new wine that comes into an old wineskin situation that does not want to change its wineskin oldness. It's going to burst. Not most of the time, every time, without fail. It's back to the basics, part three for our church. And I want to give you some scriptures to encourage you in this journey. Clarify what we are celebrating next Sunday at 10 a.m. It's we are going to be here together. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to fan the flame of unity, strength to push back the darkness together. That's what's coming. We're going to be stronger in the gospel. We're going to be stronger in our outreach. We're going to be stronger in our powerful prayer time. Being the new wine of the new covenant here in this new wineskin church fellowship. Ready to be more than conquerors for his namesake, for the glory of Jesus Christ our King. That's what we do. Now how are we going to do that? Let me answer three questions and ask them at the same time. Number one in your notes. Have you reset the new wine and the new wineskin? Have you reset the new wine and the new wineskin? Though Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he always seeks to radically and continually change those who follow him on a daily basis. One year ago was my first time I stood at this platform and spoke to you. I am not the same man I was that day, nor are you the same listeners parishioners, covenant partners that you were. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it. He says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. All things become new. The Bible says, Daily in keeping with repentance, his mercies are renewed each day. In Revelation 25.5, Jesus is the one who declares, Behold, I make all things new. Where did he say that? As he sat on the throne. Behold, I make all things new. Colossians 3.10 talks about how the gospel puts to death the old man and, and calls us to put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him who created him. Yet most people are not really ready for that kind of newness the change that Jesus wants to bring. And we find an example of this in our text today. The religious leaders of the day were bothered by how differently Jesus and his disciples believed and lived. To answer them, Jesus gave them parables of the cloth and the wineskin. Now, a lot of big-time scholars, a lot bigger than I'll ever be, and, and I don't think I have the capacity. I stand on the shoulders of these scholars every week when I stand up here. They call this text 
a gold mine. And I agree. For us who want to walk with Jesus and nothing else matters, nothing else comes close, and everything else that we do that matters comes out of that view that Jesus is our king and he's forgiven us of our sins. This is gold. Consider the words of Jesus here. Ask yourself whether you are really ready to reset in what the world is going to send us and have you reset your hearts and minds to what the church is, particularly this church is, what outreach really is, what your walk on the narrow path and being sold out to Jesus really is. Now, I could have stood up here and pretended I didn't forget my Bible. Instead, I decided, y'all know I'm the Bible idiot so I can get away with it, and I went and got it. What is it in your life that you're holding on to? See, for many folks, change is a four-letter word. Change is hard and uncomfortable. And yet something new comes. Very often it brings with it changes. This was certainly the case in Jesus' ministry. He collided with that old Jewish religious system, steeped in their traditions. Jesus seemed like an innovator, an insider that threatened their way of life. And guess what? They were right. In much the same way, Jesus can threaten the way of life that we grow used to living. As the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ, we find old, familiar things being put to death and new ones taking their place. These changes can be any number of things in our lives, some of which we may even resist. That was what happened in the context of this parable. Jesus calls us to a great reset of our lives, death gone, people now who are alive. Remember, and I've said this many times, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Point number two. Have you recognized the new wine, wineskin? Have you recognized the new wine and wineskin? Integrating the new with the old. Look, Jesus did not throw out the old covenant. He makes it very clear in the Sermon on the Mount that he comes to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Let's look at it quick. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of the pen will be uh, any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the king, kingdom of heaven. He doesn't come to set aside the law, but to strip away the Pharisees' precious oral tradition so that people can see the power of the Spirit that's within the law and repent, preparing for the coming of the kingdom. Jesus sends now the Spirit to us for us to be able to see Jesus is now fulfilling the law within us. Some scripture references if you're taking notes, Romans 8, 1 through 4, and Galatians 5, 16 through 23. Does he make the old man better? No. He doesn't make the old man better. He comes to make a new person. He comes to make a new man, a new woman. That's the difference. Matthew 13, 52 says, 
Therefore, every teacher of the law who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storerooms new treasures as well as the old. He wasn't critical of the old. That's what he told his disciples. Point number three. Have you received the new wine, wineskin? The scribes and Pharisees loved their religious routines. It made them feel good about themselves and their man-made righteousness. They didn't like somebody just dismissing all of that. Can't have that. Plus, then, he took the place of their significance in the community because he was master and lord. And that's why they wanted to kill him. What about you? What if the Lord Jesus wanted to change your routine? Would you receive it? What if he wanted you to start a whole new practice and pattern in your life? Would you receive it? The truth is, we easily fall into the routine of life. And without even realizing it, we grow comfortable and complacent in it. Like the religious leaders of old, there may be fresh joy waiting for us, but we are too stuck in our rut to see it or even want it. Sometimes, circumstances in our life can cause us to be in a rut or to be in a system where we find it to be very comfortable and we don't want it to change. 21 days. 21 days is all you get. You buy a brand new car, the joy that you have lasts 21 days, not, not 22. If right now I would take you to your dream house overlooking the, your dream ocean with all the things that you wanted and your bank account is packed with whatever number makes you happy, 10 million, 20 million, 30 million dollars, you got 21 days. Then it's just regular normal. Then you're just processing things, everything as if it's normal. That is a psychologist proven fact. It's called 21 times. You do something 21 times, it becomes part of your world. I'll give you another example since she's not here right now. <laughs> Emily broke her leg on December 5th. She had zero weight bearing for 90 days, then light, light weight bearing for another 30. What do you think happened? She got into a mode of trying to live life. And now to come out of that mode, on June 1st, we got the x-rays that said, you're not going to hurt it. That pain you feel, let pain be your guide. You're not going to hurt this. It's healed. But the pain you feel is your ankle has not been working at all for six months. Because even when you got to lightweight bearing, you still only could do a quarter. You still had crutches. Look, now she's got a whole new routine of trying to work that ankle back to where it needs to be. And the human condition would be like, no, let's just protect it. I'm used to life this way now. And we do that in our life. We do that in our life. And Jesus comes, and I think he tells us a couple different things. I think he tells us, in the benign things of life, acknowledge me. Cast all your cares on me, for he loves us. That's what he tells us. I love you. Cast all your cares on me. Ask, seek, knock, and I'll open the kingdom of heaven to you. So we're pursuing Christ in everything. Can you eat a bowl of cereal to the glory of God? Absolutely, you can. 
just living your life to the glory of Jesus Christ. Again, we fall into these routines in life, and I think God likes us to upset our routines. And we even have something in this country, I can't tell you, I don't know the historical significance of it, but it comes around every January 1st, which I think is an amazing uh, example of the human condition. And it's called New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions, we try to break the pattern of whatever it is that we're trying to do. And something like 62% of people will hold those resolutions through April 1st. Guess what happens to those 62% or 68% of whatever it is? They now have a new life in that area. I'm one of those guys that usually by about the 10th of January, it's like, this is stupid. I don't even know why I was thinking that. But there has been times when we've made changes, and it wasn't always on New Year's. And when it sticks, it sticks. And I explained to you the dead person's charter. That was the biggest turning point in my life. Where you actually point to a day that you died. And you're a new life in Christ. And some of you have that on your conversion day. I don't. I have it about a, you know, 15 years after my conversion date. But it doesn't matter. We start this whole new practice and pattern. And then we start receiving what God has for us. And he starts making a way in us that we can't create ourselves. And what is it? It's a narrow path. Few that find it. The Lord Jesus may very well have something new for you, but it'll require change. Are you willing to change? First, we receive Jesus Christ. Our lives are changed forever. Then we receive the new wine and the new wineskins as the Lord brings them into our lives. Yes? Then we serve him, and together we push back the darkness for the times in which we live in. Because if you haven't picked up on it, it's getting dark. And it's just the destruction of our country over the last two decades is breathtaking. Breathtaking. Since the new millennium in 21 years, where we were then and where we are now. And I would hate to say it, but even in the last six months, we have you know, turned in, in ways that this nation may never recover, but that doesn't mean that the people of Jesus Christ can't grow stronger in Him as our redemption draws near. Thanks for tuning in to our Sunday message. To donate, request prayer, or to contact Pastor Chris, you can write to Lifehouse Church at P.O. Box 661, Abilene, Kansas, 67410, or go online at lifehouse-church.com. On behalf of the entire congregation, thanks again for your support.